Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe Guiana with 1530 Apologetics Throughout All Ages. And we're here to intellectually think about arguments and see if our worldview, yours and mine, makes sense as we lay it on a scale of truth. We look at history, science, philosophy, archaeology, and the reality that we live in, and does it make sense? Well, over the last six parts, six weeks, we've been talking about how the Bible from the beginning of the first century got translated and the history around it last week we ended up talking about martin luther and how he at the end of his days he translated the bible into a german language there was many dialects throughout the country as luther would write this german bible translation it united the people together to read one dialect that everyone could read. And so we see that Luther even uh, brought in hymnals where one of his main songs that I know I know real well is A Mighty Fortress is Our God from Psalms 46. But by 1546, Luther is laid to rest. The Reformation is continuing in Germany and throughout the Europeans and England. And we find a young man whose name is John Calvin. Now, John Calvin was born in 1509. Gerard had three sons, and this was his father. He had Charles, Jean, and Antony. Now, John Calvin was a French theologian of the Protestant Reformation. Born in France on July 10, 1509. By the age of 12, he was employed by the bishop as a clerk. So he received a tonsure. Well, a tonsure is the cutting of a hair to symbolize his dedication to the church. Uh, tonsure means the clipping, actually, or the shearing. So you cut it like a monk. But by 1523, he's 14 years old. He enters the University of Paris which was one of the most prestigious universities in Europe. And remember, now by 1523, we already have the 95 theses that were on the wall in Germany. Chaos is breaking out. 1524, we know that way back in Zurich, Grable's wife from the Anabaptists 
has their first child and a decision is about to be made out in Zurich about the Reformation. And a year later in 1525 A.D., Gerard, he took Calvin out of the College of de Montego and enrolled him in the University of Orleans to study law. And we know in 1528, he left the university with a Master of Arts degree. In 1529, that Calvin enters the University of Borges, he stays there for 18 months and he, that's where he learned his Koine Greek. By 1531, Calvin's father has laid to rest, has died. And now John Calvin is left to do what he finds or deems necessary in his life. So we find during this time that by 1530, 1531... Calvin really began to draw to the study of God's Word. He had finished out his doctoral program and his passion was developing for the Word of God, the Scriptures. And it's during this time that as his father passes away and he begins to really put his head down into the the Scriptures, that Calvin begins to understand the meaning and the teachings of the Catholic Church that they did not harmonize with Scripture. By 1531, you had the Battle of Kappel in Zurich happening between the Protestants and the Catholics. And we find that Calvin was just returning to Paris in October 1533. Well, Calvin had a friend named Nicholas Kopp. And Nicholas Kopp was the rector of the university. He was one of the senior officials in the educational system, but something happened. On November 1st, 1533, Nicholas Cope devoted his inaugural address to the need for reform and renewal of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, this address provoked a strong reaction from the faculty, who denounced it as heretical, and this forcing Nicholas Cope to flee Basil, and Calvin being a close friend of Cope, was implicated in the offense. And for the next year, Calvin would find himself forced into hiding. So two years go by. It's now 1535. The German Bible is out. Calvin joined Cope and Basil. And the city was under a reformed influence also. It was here... In Basel, in 1536, that Calvin publishes his initial version of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. It was an initial version of six chapters, but would eventually grow to eight chapters. Now, as Calvin was traveling through Switzerland, he made an overnight stop to the city of Geneva. And it was there that he would meet a Protestant evangelist named William Farrell. And William Farrell persuaded him to stay there and help him establish the truth in Geneva. Now, Calvin, he wanted to be secluded. He wanted to get into God's word. He wanted to study it. He wanted to write some notes down. So he refused. And 
We know that Calvin was not seeking a leadership role in this Protestant movement, although he understood what was going on more and more as the years continued. But Pharaoh went up to Calvin and rebuked him. And he said, if you refuse to devote yourself with us to the work of God, well, you are a condemned man. And it was at that point that Calvin felt the peer pressure, felt the pressure that he needed to stay at Geneva. So Calvin poured all his energies into not only studying the word of God, but establishing a Reformation society in the city of Geneva. He condemned not only the false purity of the Roman Catholic Church, but also the sinful living of immoral sinners. He taught the common people at their levels so they could develop an understanding of God's word. But Calvin was strict and only allowing those that were living according to the word of God to participate in communion. Those who failed to live up to the Bible standard were excommunicated. And here's where he gets into trouble. So from Calvin, we get the Presbyterians, the Dutch, the German Reformed churches, and many Baptists and Congregationalists. Well, it was in 1537 in January that Farrell and Calvin presented the articles of the organization of the church and its worship at Geneva to the city council. Remember, they still had this state and religion working with each other. And this was something that the Anabaptists didn't agree on. This is what got the Anabaptists in trouble. Now, this document, it described the manner of the celebrations that they would have of the Eucharist, the reasons for it, the method of it, the excommunication, the requirements, and the confession of faith. And the council accepted the document on that same day. But by 1538, almost a year into this document, these articles of the faith of the organization of the church and the worship at Geneva, Calvin and Pharaoh would find themselves expelled from Geneva after Calvin called the city government a council of devils during one of his fiery sermons. Calvin was also told that he would have to let everyone participate in the communion regardless of their lifestyle. Now Calvin, he couldn't handle this compromise. And so not only was he expelled, but Calvin was leaving out the door. Now in 1538, as he left Geneva, he was invited to lead a church of French refugees in Strasbourg. Initially, Calvin refused because they did not need Pharaoh, but relented uh, after a while when Bruce appealed to him. During this time at Strasbourg, he had married a widow with two children. By 1549, his wife had died. By 1539, ten years before his wife died, he comes out with a published second edition of Calvin's Institutes of the Christian religion on the life of a Christian man. We find a year later in 1540 a commentary on Romans which was published in March 1540. But after Calvin had left Geneva, the Catholics went out into Geneva, trying to reclaim the city for its papacy. An infamous letter was written by Cardinal Satellite in the city council posing this question. 
Would it be more expedient for your salvation to believe and follow what the Catholic Church has approved with general consent for more than 1,500 years? Or innovations introduced within these 25 years by crafty men? You see, the councilmen of Geneva had no idea how to respond to Cardinal Satellite. And they turned to John Calvin to pen a response. And so Calvin immediately brushed aside any hesitation he had about helping those who had rejected him. And Calvin takes up the banner once again for the Reformation. He responds with one of the most famous writings of the Reformation and is simply titled, A Reply to Cardinal Satellite. We're told that in the writing that Calvin expertly refuted satellite claims. Part of the letter said this, We deny not that those over whom you preside are churches of Christ, but we maintain that the Roman pontiff, with his whole herd of suedo bishops who have seized upon the pastor's office, are ravening wolves whose only steady has hitherto been to scatter and trample upon the kingdom of Christ filling it with ruin and devastation, nor are we the first to make the complaint. Well, as we know of, well, as we know of, Cardinal Satellite never answered Calvin's response, and that from that point on, and from that point on, Geneva was staunchly Protestant. Thank you for being a part of this first half. Stay with us as we go into the second half of talking about John Calvin and the King James Version Bible. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona on K-Praise. I'm glad you can be a part of this second half as we continue talking about the last portion of how the Bible got translated and the history around it. So this was between 1540 and 1546. Martin Luther dies. And then we find in 1541 to 1549, Calvin spends the rest of his life invited to return to Geneva once again. And it's here in Geneva, Calvin was able to promote the theology of the Protestant Reformation, of predestination, election by God. And later, centuries later, we would find the word used, I am a Calvinist. By 1553, we have Mary, Queen of England, who wants to staunch out the Reformation with the Anglican Church and those who are in England. We find John Knox has to flee England. It's this title that Mary earned the name Bloody Mary. Now for Calvin, 
Geneva was never just an end to itself. He considered the city a refuge for the persecuted Protestant. So enthusiastic students from all over Europe came to Geneva to see what John Cox called the most perfect school of Christ that ever was on earth since the days of the Apostle. And these students received Calvin's theology firsthand and obediently lived their life in the city of a rigorous lifestyle. By 1560, we get the Geneva Bible, the New Testament, completed now. And when this Geneva Bible was written, they were theologian scholars like William Whittingham, Miles Coverdare, Christopher Goodman, Anthony Gibley, John Knox, Thomas Sampson, that produced this Geneva-based Bible that would be based on Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, a revision of William Tyndale's New Testament, and this was published in 1557 with a complete Bible appearing in 1560. By 1564, the soul of John Calvin is at rest for natural causes. He preached his final sermon in St. Pierre on the 6th of February, 1564. Thus, when Calvin died, he left far more than a reformed Geneva. His followers would be all over Europe and soon in distant America. So here we are in 1509 in England to 1547. Henry VIII became king of England. Now, Mary, Bloody Mary that we hear about, was the only child of Henry VIII by his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. Mary was baptized into a Catholic faith, but at the age of 52, his dad, the reigning king, Henry VII, died of tuberculosis. And so now that Henry VIII is king of England, he wanted a divorce from Catherine, his wife, and he solicited Pope Clement VII, but was ultimately refused. Well, this led to a retaliation from Henry VIII, and he did what they call a dissolution of the monasteries. So all the monasteries were taken out. He called for the separation of the Church of England from the papal authority of Rome, and he appointed himself as the new supreme head of the church. And now Henry was free to divorce Catherine and pursue his next bride, which was Anna Bolin. So by 1533, he marries Anna Bolin, and she was pregnant. And Anna gave birth to Elizabeth, which would be a future king, queen of England. This declaration of separating the Pope from the office of state, the act of supremacy declared. This act of supremacy declared, Henry the King's majesty justly and rightly is and ought to be and shall be reputed the only supreme head in the earth of the Church of England. By 1537, Henry had his second, his third wife now, Jane Samor died shortly after birth, gave a son to what Henry wanted all this time. His name was Edward VI. Now, Edward VI was a reformer, 
was leaning towards Reformation and the Protestant view. Now, by 1539, this is where we get the great English Bible, because King Henry VIII of England wanted a Bible that could be read throughout all the church services of England. And this Bible, the Great Bible, was prepared by Miles Coverdell, working under the commission of Thomas Lord Cornwell, secretary to Henry VIII. So by 1553, we get Mary, Queen of England in Ireland, from July 1553 until the death. And this is where all the reformers had to run from England and find other territories to find rest. She was out for blood. She was out to reform it back to Catholicism. Mary's five-year reign had over 280 religious dissenters burned at the stake. But by 1558, Mary dies and her half-sister, Queen Elizabeth, who was for Protestants, who was for the Reformation, became Queen of England. So Queen Elizabeth actually, you know, we hear of Bloody Mary and all the devastation. So we have her that name, Bloody Mary. I remember being raised up as a child. You look in the mirror and you'll see Bloody Mary. If you hear screaming out in the streets at night, that's Bloody Mary. Elizabeth, Queen of England, actually killed more Catholics during her reign than uh, Mary, Bloody Mary did. But we don't hear much about that. Elizabeth stomped out Catholicism and brought in the Reformation. And when she died in 1603, this brought in, I believe it was her cousin from Scotland. And this was King James I. King James I was actually King James VI of Scotland. But when he came to England, it was King James I when he got to England. And right away you hear about the gunpowder plot, the attempt to blow up England, England's parliament and the king and his family, but were discovered underneath the parliament, all this gunpowder, kegs and kegs of gunpowder. But it was during this time that the reformers came up to King James. It was during this time at the conference that the reformers came up to King James and begin to talk how they can settle the issue. And the ideal was to come up with a Bible that all could read, which was the authorized King James Version. So John Reynolds proposes to write a Bible out for King James. King James liked the ideal, and they got 54 men who were theologians, and they began to write out this Bible at 1605. So the first year from 1605 to 1606, the scholars engage in private research. The next three years, they worked and assembled together. And then the whole Bible was distributed in six portions among the various men there. So John Reynolds and Miles Smith took the books of Isaiah and Malachi. Bishop George Abbott oversaw the committee working on the Gospels and the Acts and the Book of Revelation. The New Testament epistles was translated by Dr. Williams Bedwell. And out of these 54 translators, four were college presidents, six were bishops, five were deans, 30 held PhDs, 39 held master degrees, 
There were 41 university professors, 13 were masters of the Hebrew language, and 10 had a mastered the Greek language. Every man involved in the King James Bible translation believed in the verbal inspiration of the scriptures, all believed in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all were men of prayer. Many were not only biblical scholars and, and master linguists, but also God-called spirit-filled preachers. Yet it's told that these translators considered themselves poor instruments to make God's holy truth to be yet more and more known unto the people. And by 1611, we had the authorized King James Version Bible. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. And thank you for being a part. And we'll see you next week. God bless. I'd like to introduce myself to you. This is Joe with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And what we do is we go out into high schools, public high schools, and we ask them the question, what is your world view? You see, we want these students, before they get into college, their first year in college, to intellectually think about arguments of why they live here, how they live here, how they got here, and what are they doing here? What is their purpose here on this earth? And what I do is when I go into these public high schools, it is my job to go in there and let them ask questions of what they believe in and weigh them out and see if they make sense. And I would ask you if you want to be a part of Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics to be able to get me from classroom to classroom, from high school to high school, that you can go to my website and be a partner with us as we move forward. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.